Thank you. That was a long reading with wonderful names in there. You got them all. Well done. It's a wonderful passage, that, isn't it? The story of Daniel. I don't know how well you know it, how much of it you've read before, but today we continue, or we finish, our series on spiritual disciplines, and the focus of the subject of today is wholly devoted to God, or whole life devotion to God, and that's what we see in the life of Daniel. He was wholly, totally devoted to God, and as we were saying about spiritual disciplines, challenging us on how we can grow in our faith, there's a long list, so many disciplines, and we can't exhaust them all. So we've just drawn out a few of them. Last week, Jane touching on how we hear God. We looked when Mark spoke about giving, on being content, making space and time for God. There are so many, and we can learn from people around us, we can learn from one another, but we can also learn from examples in the Bible. And today we look at the example of Daniel. And my key verse is verse 8. And Daniel resolved in his heart not to defile himself with the king's food, it says. And the different translations, he purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. Daniel and his friends were in Babylon. They were in this place where they were strangers. But they were committed, all of them, that despite them being in a land that wasn't completely dedicated to God, they would not give in to the pressures of that world. In the world, but not of the world. So who was Daniel? And who were his friends? And where did they come from? Well, the passage tells us who they were in verse 6 to 7. You can see that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were captured by the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, when he conquered Jerusalem. So the four of them were then brought into the king's palace for three years of training and drilling to be transformed into the ways of Babylon in preparation for the tasks and service to the king. Curacies are about three years. I wondered when I read this, I thought, oh, that's an interesting one to look at, isn't it? Three years of drilling and training to be conformed to the ways of the palace. Jane, when you trained curates, did you drill and train them like well? That's a a question for Jane during tea and coffee. But in chapter 1, verse 8, we are introduced to the character of these men. They purpose in their hearts not to defile themselves. They are offered food that is dedicated. You might think, what is the fuss about this thing to do with food? Paul teaches on that subject but food offered to idols. And we see that here. This food is offered to the gods. And so they know that in saying yes to eating that food, in a sense, it's a kind of worship of sorts. So they say, well, we won't defile ourselves 
by eating that food. Give us vegetables. I don't know whether vegetarians go by this kind of... It's not the root really, is it? But um, it's an interesting one, isn't it? They are committed to Yahweh and are ready to lay their lives on the line for him. In chapter 3, the king commands everyone to worship him. Everyone to worship him. But Daniel and his three friends will not compromise their faith. And therefore, we know that story, some of us, they're thrown into the fiery furnace. Because they stand for what they believe is right. And that's their faith. And that's their God. Despite the fear of being thrown in the fire, they say we will not give in. In between these episodes, Daniel's book is about 12 chapters. It is 12 chapters. And there's some episodes in there. The king has dreams and no one but Daniel is able to interpret those dreams. One of the exciting ones is one day when the king invites his magicians, those wise people that is gathered around him to interpret dreams. This is what he says to them. He says that they should tell him his dream first and then interpret the dream. Hush taskmaster, you'd think, isn't it? Tell us the dream and then we'll interpret it. That's what they're used to. This time he says, well, you've gathered round me, you wise people. Tell me my dream and then interpret the dream as well. And of course, they freeze. They're not sure what to do. And then Daniel offers himself. Says, I will. And guess what he does? In chapter 6, Daniel prays. He knows that the way to be able to understand and decipher this complex scenario, equation that is set before him is to pray. So he does what he's always done, what he's used to, which is going to his room in that same spot where he prays three times a day, facing the same direction, facing Jerusalem, and prays. And in so doing, he gets the answer and he's able to tell the king what that dream is. But what's interesting is, do you ever have people around you in a place of work that tend to excel above you and you get jealous? Or maybe it's you that you've excelled and the others around you get jealous. Well, this is what happens here, is that the others then see and think, hmm, we don't like this. So they think, how do we trip this guy up? How do we find a way of trapping Daniel? But you see, they, there was nothing that they could use. There was nothing that they could use. The only way was to try and trap Daniel using his lifestyle and the habits that he had. And that was prayer. So that's the trap that they set. Or king, get everybody to worship you. And let's see what happens to Daniel. Of course, Daniel just does what he always does. He goes up to his room, 
as he's always done with his door open, the window open, and he kneels down as he's always done, facing Jerusalem, as he's always done. It's not a new thing, it's just here. It is said as though it's new and different, but this is what Daniel has always done. It's whole life worship. It's his wholly devoted to God. It's how he has always done it. He doesn't know any different. And he's 80 now when he's being trapped. So at 80, how much, I mean, you can change, can't you? When you, as, as we get older, we can change, but he's pretty much set in his ways. This is how he's always done it. He manages to live through four regimes. So this is a tried and tested system in a foreign land. So they catch him out. But he's wholly devoted to God. Learning from Daniel, what lessons can we draw from Daniel? How do we live for God in a culture that doesn't live for God? Once upon a time, Christian country. Now, how would you describe England? I don't know. Uganda. Maybe. Christian country. Really? We don't know. Whichever nation you mention, it can be that in name, but what does it mean in practice? Daniel and his friends were not just that in name, but in practice, this is how they led their lives, wholly devoted to God. And Daniel and his friends thrived in this environment. You would think that they would be chopped and squashed because it was in Babylon where they worshipped other gods and not Yahweh, but actually they thrived. And yet they held on to their faith and to that lifestyle that was wholly devoted to God in spite of all that was going on around them. They managed to resist temptation and stand up to intimidation. And what was their secret? They knew their God. They knew their God and they had confidence that this God was for them. He was a loving God, but he was a God who was for them. Friends, what we think about God is important to us. I'm not saying all of us as a group like this, but what you think about God as you, as me. Our faith is very much a personal faith. What I think about God matters. What type of figure is God to you? Who is God to you? If I ask that question like this, I will hear different answers. Because that is a very personal thing. One might say, God is a God who has been father to me. Because I lost my physical father and nobody has played that role but God. Somebody will say, God is healer. Because I've got a story to tell about the healing that I've known that God has done. And the list goes on and on. Who is God to you? I know who God is to somebody else, but who is God to you? Because that affects how we live for him daily. 
In Daniel chapter 9, you find Daniel praying. There is that prayer that he prays in a situation that depicts his confidence in God, that God is in charge, that God is in charge of all events and the situations around him. He believes that. And sometimes we say it, and then when we look around, we think, God, are you really in charge when I see what's going on in Turkey and Syria? And how can all these things happen? How can a loving God let all these things happen? And my news channel is having this and that and the other, and then there's diagnosis here, there, and the other. With all these things going on, is this God really? But he is. He is. Because those things are all those things going on, but who is God to me? Who is God to you? When we share good news stories, it's not just about the big, grand things that God is doing. It's also about those everyday things, like somebody shared in the midweek communion when we gathered on a Wednesday. For them, it was very much, thank you, God, that I'm awake today. As basic as that. Thank you, God, that I've woken up today, that I'm alive. Thank you for food. And the list goes on. Who is God to you? Why do you pray when you pray? What is it within you that keeps you going? What is it that made Daniel and his friends stand up for God in that world where they were? Maybe they knew some promises of God, like Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. For I know the, pr- the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Maybe they knew something like that. And thought, well, if he has plans for us to prosper us and not to harm us, then he's worth holding on to. You might not see it, but Hebrews says, faith is the substance of things not seen, yet unseen. And the evidence of those things hoped for. Not sin, but hoped for. Because of who God is. That's what stirs up faith. And then sometimes, you say it and believe it before, and then the fiery furnace happens, and you're rescued. Guess what happens to their faith? It's strengthened even more. Sometimes we think to ourselves in a time of crisis, if only I had known this was coming, I would have got closer to Jesus. I got to know him more. How about we do it the other way around, by devoting ourselves to him before the crisis comes? That that is our lifestyle. So that in that moment and situation, we've got something to hold on to. Something that sustains us. Daniel was taken from his home in Jerusalem as a young man. He was taken into a foreign land. And there was nobody around him that he could run to. No friends or people with a shared history in the same way. But God was there for him. And someone, blessed, blessed, 
there's something about roots. Is that person who stands for God, their roots are deep. They're like that tree that is planted by the streams of water who do not wither. The leaves are evergreen, continue to be green because of the depth of the roots. Jane referenced this last week about the roots going deep. There was a grounding there that kept the faith of Daniel and his friends strong, that in the midst of difficulty and persecution, they could still stand for their faith. You'll read about martyrs who have laid down their lives for the faith. Have I read that line somewhere about being built on the blood of martyrs? About our our, our church, in a sense, we there are those who have laid down their lives ahead of us that we can carry on today. Let me think, well, why did they really, was it worth giving up? Was it worth laying down one's life for the sake of the gospel? Is it ever worth laying down your life for the sake of the gospel? When I say lay down your life, you might think that's pretty scary. You don't all have to be like a Janani Luwum or a Festuk Evangeli or a Dietrich Bonhoeffer in terms of physical laying down of one's life. But we never know. How much do we love God? And what is that cost for our discipleship? And that's a personal question. What does that mean for you? I know what it meant for me in school, where in primary school... I was embarrassed to be called a pastor's son or a vicar's son because it wasn't cool. And you know the pressures of a child as a teenager, you just want to be a normal child. So that's a big deal there. I just want to be normal. Nobody know me. Nobody know anything. And then they call you, then they start laughing at you and all that. So That's a big thing because it either draws you closer to God or pushes you away from I don't want to be associated with church or anything like that because of my parents or because of church. I just want to be normal, was my cry. I just want to be normal, like every other child. But actually, there is something as one grows, then you realize, ah, faith is not about my father and my mother and about the church. It is very much about me and God. Because if, like Daniel, one is taken away to a foreign land, ha, 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 surprise, surprise. I, I, I don't have any of those people, things to hold on to. It comes down to you and to me. What does my whole life devotion to God look like on my own, not for anybody else? What does it look like at your place of work? What does it look like at home? Not everybody in your household will sit round the table as you say grace and agree with you saying grace. So how do we live our lives together for the sake of the gospel? Some of your family members followers of Jesus, others not, but we're still called to love them and live together with them. So how do we do that in a practical and real way? What does that look like? Do we give up? No, we don't. Do we impose it on them? No, we don't. How does Daniel do it? Daniel 
just lives his lifestyle. Prayer is important. God is important. He won't compromise, so he'll do those things. Pray daily, three times a day, window open, facing Jerusalem. And you can imagine the job that he was doing, because as pressured as they come, how did he make space for God amidst that? You might say you're the busiest of people in the world. Well, how about adjusting your calendar to fit God in somehow? You could pray. Ten seconds. One minute. Three times a day. Three minutes a day. Or more. Sometimes being part of a group helps. Joining a group helps, whether it's a small group, a connect group, because then you can hear from others. Get together. Eat together. Talk. Share stories. Cry together. Encourage one another. When you don't feel like it, you support each other. Or like we are here as clergy, trying to encourage each other and think, what do we do and how do we respond in light of all that is going on? General Synod talking about the issues with sexuality. And then we are thinking, how do we support each other? Because we've got to embrace this. It's a thing. And you may be asking, what does our vicar think? Are you asking that question? Maybe not. Maybe you're not interested in what I think. But if you are, I can tell you what I think. Because I've said it when I first came, that mine will be pointing you to to Jesus. And so mine is the orthodox view. That's what I think. However, what does St. John's think? And that's a conversation for me with the PCC to sit down together and navigate and say, do we say something about this or not? But in light of all of that, how do we hold ourselves and encourage each other as clergy, as disciples of Christ in this world, in this culture that is for God or not for God? A life wholly devoted to God is important and crucial because, yes, it comes down to the whole church, but really, it comes down to the individual. What does a life of whole devotion look like for you? Daniel prayed. Daniel fasted. Daniel worshipped. Daniel did his best to live for God and not swim against Well, he swam against the tide the whole time. That's what he was doing. It would be encouraging for us to be a church that is confident in sharing the good news of Jesus. We've got these little Why Jesus booklets. I don't know whether you've seen them. There's some by the door. And this Why Jesus booklet basically just helps you to 
understand what the gospel is all about. If you see that from the first page through to the end, it asks questions like, why do we need him? What's this all about? And it explains a few things there. Why bother with Jesus? How do we know it's true? Who is Jesus? His claims, his character, all explained there. And then it has a prayer at the end there for anybody who says they want to be a follower of Jesus. So that's why this book is really helpful. And to be good for us to just take a copy, everybody, and read it and get to know it and be confident enough to share your faith. Because trust me, as soon as you say you're a Christian, at one point, Paul says, you've got to be ready to defend the faith. Whichever way that looks, it could be in school, it could be at your place of work, it could be at home, it could be on the train or the bus or the playground or the toddler group, wherever that is, in some way, form or another. So my desire is that we as St. John's will be confident in our faith with the basics and just be able to share that with others. So I've got two or three here for anybody who would like one. Do take them, and there are plenty at the back. I want to bring this to a close. My sense is that God is calling us to be those who live our lives completely for him and purpose in our hearts not to defile ourselves. If you read Galatians chapter 5 from verse 16 to 22, it talks about the fruit of the sinful nature and the fruit of the Spirit. Live by the Spirit and we will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. We're doing an exercise together with the PCC trying to think, what are some of our values as a church? What could be our values as a church together? And these are unfolding, but these are some of the things that came up. Prayer, worship, the word, spirit, integrity, welcome, hospitality, discipleship, fellowship, community, mission, generosity, diversity, intergenerational, intercultural, serving, fun, and more. But those values help us. They help us know who God has called us to be. I want to just take a moment as we finish, just a moment to pause quietly on your own to think, what does faith mean to you? This is you as you. Sam has shared what it means to him as Sam and reflecting on Daniel. What does it mean to you? Because faith is very much a personal thing. Who is God to you? Who is God to you?